Welcome to a post-game aftershock from an exciting 3-3 draw. Alex, the Goonies were very good at winning games at the death. How much credit do you give the team for fighting back 3-1 down after getting a red card early in the game? What is your like initial reaction to this result? It feels a little strange, doesn't it? It does feel a little strange, Damon, because this was by no means a good performance from the San Jose Earthquakes. I think they struggled right from the get-go. And after the red card, it looked pretty bleak uh, for the most part for, for the Quakes. But I give credit uh, to the players for this one, to the players for sticking in it uh, and for grinding out that point. Because uh, when they were 3-1 down, I really saw no way back for them. And so it took a lot of heart for them to be able to uh, overturn that and, and get the draw. Obviously, two big headers from Francisco Calvo, Jan Gregus. Those are two new signings uh, immediately making an impact in San Jose. And so I was I was surprised with this one, Jamin. I did not expect the Quakes to be able to pull this one out. So I will give credit to the players for that one. So Lucas Zellerion, with a bit of a shooting masterclass, ultimately leaves with the same number of points that Francisco Calvo gets for two headers off of set pieces. Fair? Unfair? How do you see it? Uh, I don't it, I don't think it exists on the spectrum of fair or unfair, Jamin. Uh, I think that whatever happens with Matias Almeida uh, lineups and Matias Almeida games exists in some parallel universe where the laws of physics and of reality are are kind of uh, morphed because this one was just a classic Matias Almeida game, Jamin, where you just get chaos right from the get-go. Quakes go down a man with the red card. I'm sure we're going to talk about that more in depth uh, later on in the show. Uh, but they, they, they get the early penalty uh, and then they allow three pretty poor goals. They look bleak and then somehow uh, they, they turn it around at the end. So this is uh, the same old Matias Almeida narrative here with chaos, chaos and more chaos. Yeah, so uh, you know, John Jay, I think with a, with a good comment here. So look, we are we are definitely both critics of Matias Almeida. Hey, look, I tried to convince Joel Soria to come on the show today. I said some way he's got got to be in this man's corner, but that was when it was three one, and he had predicted already a four one game. And so I'm texting with him during the game. He was at the game today, and uh, for those who missed Joel, he says hi to everyone. But you know, the uh, I, I for me, you, I. I felt that this could be, I doubt it is going to be a, a swan song for Matias Almeida, but it was definitely going in the wrong direction. I felt though he actually does deserve a bit of credit today. So let, you know, let me let me give him credit for for where it is due. I think he gets credit for putting out a lineup that at least acknowledged what he needed to do to get back to kind of a four-two. 3-1, 1-3. He, he prefers 1-3. I say it's a 3-1, but whatever. You know, I, I'm not sure it matters that much. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, the lineup itself was pretty good. Now, I still quibble over Judson versus Rometty. I want to see Judson starting. I don't want to see Rometty in there. And I believe I was justified because 
if anyone was going to get, you know, a red or a second yellow in that game, it was the way that Remedi came out and played today was definitely too aggressive for the type of game that needed to be played. And he was putting the, the, the team in trouble early. So that one thing I still don't agree with. And of course, the wisdom of Jackson Ewell as, as, a, as a right center back, you know, I think is still in question. But ultimately, until the red card, the Quakes did have the better of the run of play. Very similar to last week, where they started off the game well, and then right around the 20-something minute, right, something happens and everything starts to, you know, kind of shift the entire game. Last week, it was the injury to Nathan. This week, it was the red card uh, to Montero. And, you know, the game shifts. But I did feel that Matias made two really good substitutions at halftime. That, uh, that sub for, uh, for recognizing that Remedi was potentially a liability for the rest of the game, get him off, put Judson on. I think that that was the right move to make. The other good move he made was bringing on Cade Cowell to let him try to do some individual things to get the team back in the game. And he definitely created some excitement. I think the fans enjoyed seeing him getting out. And man, did he have a beautiful pass to Jeremy Abobasi that could have, you know, really kind of uh, changed that, changed the game in the Quakes' favor at that point. But too slow, too many touches from Abobasi, didn't actually get a shot off in that situation. But man, was that a that a good pass. How did you feel about those two, two halftime subs? I thought those were the right subs to make in that situation, Jamin. And I will give Almeida credit as well. I think that uh, in terms of the lineup today, he got his decisions correct. I, I have no gripes with the lineup he played today. I think that seeing Marcos Lopez at left back and Paul Marie at right back and switching back to that back four, that 4-2-3-1, was a good decision. I think the Quakes looked a lot more comfortable building out of the back and attacking and carrying the ball forward. I think that Lopez and and uh, Marie were big parts of that. I think going forward, they were San Jose's two of their most dangerous players who are carrying the ball forward and, and driving the attack forward. And that's how you see them win the early penalty is Paul Marie pushing all the way up from right back into the box and winning that penalty. And so I think those were two good changes. And I think that had a positive impact on this team. I also think that the halftime changes were the right moves to make. I think you need to get Judson in there because Eric Rometty was being way too reckless out there, and I could have easily seen him getting a red card. And mm -hmm. you can't go down to nine men. All hope would have been lost at that point. And then I think Cade Cowell also brought on energy, and, and he looked really good today on that right wing. I think he was much more dangerous and much more effective than he was in the home opener against New York Red Bulls last weekend. So I thought those were all good news. I think what's missing is the tactics. You can have the right players on the pitch, and I think he's starting to, to – Almeida is starting to find that, that group – but I still don't think the tactics are there. I still don't think they uh, have the, the strategies to move the ball forward up the field and to really break teams down. I thought their transitions were way too slow going forward. Other than uh, Marcus Lopez and Paul Marie, I really didn't think they had that many players pushing the tempo and, and, and getting the ball up the pitch. Uh, I thought that Jeremy Obobese did have a good game up top. I thought that he was able to combine well with the midfielders and distribute the ball well, but it really didn't feel like it mattered uh, because he wasn't getting the ball enough and, and the ball wasn't moving forward uh, into the attacking third enough. So I, I'll give Matias Almeida credit for those lineup decisions, but I still think the tactics have a long way to go, Jim. Yeah, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to disagree with that because, one, we, we don't see teams in MLS. There, there's a ceiling to set pieces. Um, 
the number of set pieces, the top team in MLS, and we're talking, we're, we're talking a combination of anything that's a dead ball. So that's penalties, free kicks, direct on goal, set pieces into the box, um, corners, you know, anything from a dead ball situation. Uh, you know, the most in the league last year was, was 17. Okay. And uh, so most teams who are in the playoffs are scoring at least 45 or 50 goals at a, almost a, a bare minimum. The Red Bulls actually got in with fewer, uh, but that was because they had such a good job on the defensive side of the ball that, that they didn't need to score as many goals. There's very few teams uh, who shut down their, their opponents quite like the Red Bulls did last year. So, um, I, you know, for me, one of the things I think this team needs to, needs to be able to do, but unfortunately didn't have a full 90 to get to the chance to do it today, is be able to score off of, you know, those open play goals. And, and I did think that going forward early in the game, particularly in the box, you know, they were, they were getting pretty dangerous and that created a situation, you know, Paul Marie on the attacking side of the ball today had, I, I felt a good game. Um, I felt defensively, uh, he typically made the wrong decisions one V one with players that led to dangerous situations. And so you have the kind of the positive that he brought in creating the penalty you had the negative that he brought that kind of created, you know, the setback situation, the, I'm sorry, the cutback situation that for the, for the second goal and other, other problems where there was just a lot of danger uh, because he tried to step and guess and go the wrong direction. So I can kind of get that, you know, this, this experiment of, of four in the back with, you know, Paul Marie as a, the starting right back. I do have a lot of questions as to whether that tactically can be the way forward for the team. But so long as the Quakes can control the game and minimize those kinds of, of issues, it's fine. Once you get into the red card situation, you're down a man, you're sitting back and stuff like that, you know, stabbing at the ball instead of kind of staying more compact and such that got him into trouble on the first goal from Zeller Ryan and got him in trouble on the second goal as well. You know, there, you know, there was just some poor decision making on the defensive side. That all said, um, you know, I think having uh, Greg Goosh take some of these set pieces, you know, he's he's got the ability to put balls in. And we knew this from his time in Minnesota. He's got the ability to be able to put balls into situations and get over that first line in most situations. There's a couple of couple set pieces from deeper where that didn't happen today. But for the most part, he can get that ball into a situation where it can be headed by a Calvo and, and Calvo is a scoring center back. Um, he, I think he's had as many as five goals in a season before something along those lines. Um, of course, those are all going to be from set pieces. So, you know, he has the ability to be able to score. And so it's nice to be able to have him, um, you know, should you have Yule or Beeson out there, you know, on the right, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a fair debate at this point. Certainly, you know, the fans have kind of weighed in and I think that they would rather have Beeson out there, at least uh, from what we've seen in the chat so far. What are your thoughts in terms of kind of the Ewell Beeson, you know, situation if if you got to play without Nathan for two months at this point, having seen what you saw today? You know, I, I, I think that uh, the main issue with San Jose's defense today was just stabbing in. There, there were too many uh, reckless, uh, you know, challenges and, and pushing forward, trying to win the ball. It was a little too aggressive. And, uh, you know, I think that Jackson Ewell has what it takes 
to 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 adapt to this center back position. I have, I have no doubt about that. But I, I think it's just a matter of time. I, I honestly, Jamin, at this point, I just want to give both of them a chance to to cement that position because I don't think that either of them has made a, a strong enough case yet to win. Tanner Beeson, I think, should be the future of this team at center back. Uh, and so I, I'd like to see him getting in there, uh, but it, but it, it also feels hard to to kick Jackson Ewell out of this lineup because he's a captain and he's one of the leaders on this team. So I'm not sure I have a good answer uh, for the center back situation. Yeah, but I do want to address some of the comments here in the chat uh, because I think that Daniel is right. You talk about set pieces. The Quakes now have four goals from set pieces this season. They have only scored from set pieces, from set pieces. this season, and they have multiple set piece takers who are really strong. I think you can have Gregu step over the ball. You can have Espinosa step over the ball. You can have Chofi step over the ball. So I think set pieces right now are their best asset and, and, and they've been quite dangerous so far. And uh, I, what's concerning the, the, the flip side of that is that they haven't scored any goals from open play. Uh, and so that's, that's also concerning to me. Um, but, but as you say, I think Calvo is really dangerous up, up there in the set pieces. He adds a lot of height. Uh, and, and and just generally a lot of aggressiveness. I think he's creating chaos in the box and lots of space. I think uh, th- that was what did it for the Quakes with the set pieces today. And uh, I, 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 I'm, I think that's one of their strongest assets at this point. Yeah, let's let's continue on the set piece a, a little bit. And I, and I think, you know, there, there's fair questions there. Should we be concerned that they still don't have goals in the run of play? Well, I'm going to call today a little bit of a wash from that perspective because I don't think – this is the right game when you're forced to play down a man for two thirds of the game. It's not the right game to go like, well, you should have scored, you know, in the run of play. Clearly most teams do not score in the run of play down a man. And so to put that expectation on the team, you know, and, and or Almeida or anyone else at this point is unfair. What you do like is that they've been opportunistic with the set pieces and been able to figure out ways to be able to get those set piece goals. They get, they also gave up two set piece goals today. So the set piece giveth and the set piece taketh away. I guess you can say that they are what plus plus or uh, plus two on set piece goals at this point, but they are negative on the open play goals or whatever the case is. But um, you know, so far, you you know, the problem with set piece goals is that they do dry up. So uh, eventually teams get enough tape on you to start to adjust to the runs that you're making and things like that. And historically speaking, with incredibly few exceptions, incredibly few exceptions, um, you know, those, those catch up to you. If you're dependent too much on set pieces, you're not going to be a good team over time. I think take a look at the Colorado Rapids from last season as compared to the Colorado Rapids from previous seasons. They've always been good at getting set piece goals but it was never good enough for them to, to do well in the Western conference, even though they had Jack price, you know, all those years to help create good set piece goals. The problem is last season, right? They now, they started to have the players that would let them actually score an open play. And of course they, they won the West. Hello everyone. So Thank important. you for being with us this Matthias afternoon. Here now. Following today's three, three draw with the Columbus crew. We are joined by head coach Matias Almeida. If you have a question, please let me know in the chat or shoot me a text. We're going to begin with questions in English before taking a couple in Spanish with no translation. Let's go ahead and get started with Alex Morgan. Hi, Matias. Thank you for joining us today. It's good to talk to you. Um, Hi, Alex. The team, I'm good, thank you. Uh, The team has now scored all four of its goals this season from set pieces, uh, three of them today. Uh, What is it you think makes this team so strong in set pieces? 
And does the lack of goals from the run of play, from open play, concern you at all? Este año, en los dos partidos, San José metió los cuatro goles, todos de pelota parada. ¿Por qué pensás que el equipo se ve tan fuerte en la pelota parada y si te preocupa la falta de goles en el juego? Bueno, creo que hemos sumado gente la gente que llegó con buena pegada y con buen juego aéreo. I think the new arrivals have a good uh, service and they're dangerous in the air. Y por suerte hoy pudieron eh, realizar esas dos acciones. And fortunately today they were able to realize both plays. En la definición eh, todavía se ve que tenemos que seguir trabajando. Looks like we still have to keep on working on our finishing. El partido de hoy fue un partido realmente difícil. Today's match was really difficult. Porque este rival venía a hacer cuatro goles. Because uh, this opponent has, um, they scored four goals in the previous game. Porque cuando estábamos 11 contra 11 estábamos dominando el juego. When we were 11 v 11 we were dominating the game. Y después eh, la respuesta por la generosidad del equipo. And then the response because of the generosity of the team de jugar con un jugador menos ante este gran rival playing a man down against this great opponent durante 70 minutos más o menos for about 70 minutes eh, en un momento que perdíamos 3 a 1 decidimos igualar for the moment that we went down 3-1 we decided to go man to man de arriesgar más y ir a jugar mano a mano take more risks and go man to man y obtuvimos eh, nuestro premio al esfuerzo we got our reward for the effort, a la entrega, for the devotion, a la unión, for the unity. Con 10 jugadores creamos dos o tres situaciones de goles a base de juego. With 10 players, we uh, had two or three chances based off of our build-up play. Entonces estoy muy feliz por los jugadores y por la gente que vino hoy. So I'm really happy for the players and the fans who came out today. Y por nosotros que dedicamos mucho tiempo también a... Uh, al estudio y a, y a este club. And for us as well, because we dedicate a lot of time uh, studying the opponent and the club as well. Thank you very much, Matias. Next question from Jamin Moore. Unmuted. Thank you. Como dijiste vos, eh, cuando eran 11 contra 11, el equipo iba controlando el juego. Eh, cambiaste la línea de defensa ahora con cuatro, eh, con ausencia de Nathan, con Paul Marie y Marcos López, que tuvieron roles importantes hoy. Eh, ¿Cómo sentís que jugó el equipo con ese sistema? Y si sa puedes sacar algo de este partido, a pesar de jugar con 10, para aplicar al partido que viene contra Filadelfia. Bueno, creo que hoy entendía que el partido había que jugarlo así. I understood that the game today should have been played with that. Especially due to the strategy of the opponent. Es un sistema que nosotros ya lo tenemos, eh, bastante aceitado. This is a system that we already have pretty, um, that pretty well oiled for us, that we have down. But this year we're not going to be able to do it in one system, but we're going to be looking for different variants. 
But this year we're not just going to get caught up with one system, but rather we're going to look for variations. Para conseguir más resultados que el año pasado. To get more results than we did last year. Hoy el partido pensaba que había que jugarlo así con con esa formación. Today we thought that the game should be played like that with that formation. Veremos el partido que viene eh, qué decidimos. We'll see what we decide for the upcoming match. Thank you, Matias. Next question from Ivan Ornelas. Uh, good afternoon, Matias. My question for you is if you saw enough from the 4-2-3-1 formation that it merits further usage in upcoming games, in your opinion. Si viste lo suficiente del 4-2-3-1 que utilizaste hoy para, este, para usarlo más en el futuro, en tu opinión. En realidad vimos poco porque al, al tener un jugador menos se modificó todo. Truth is, we saw very little because once we went a man down, everything changed. Pero me convence una vez más que no importa la, los números que pongas en cancha. But I'm convinced once again that it doesn't matter what numbers you have on the field. Me convence una vez más que el fútbol se vive con pasión, con amor. Once more, I'm convinced that you play uh, football with love and passion. Con entrega. With devotion. Eh, y lo otro se puede cambiar. And the other, the other stuff can change. Nosotros este sistema ya lo tenemos del año pasado. We've been using this system since last year. Hemos jugado con otro sistema el año pasado también. We've also used a different system last year. Este año habíamos arrancado con un nuevo sistema y ante la lesión de Nathan eh, y considerando el rival de hoy decidimos cambiarlo. This season we started off uh, with a different system and then with Nathan's absence and because of the uh, opponent we were up against we decided to change it. Entonces esto nos abre un abanico más grande para saber que podemos jugar de varias maneras. So this opens up a lot for us, knowing that we can play different ways. Thank you, Matias. We'll take one more in English uh, from Jamin Moore. Unmuted. Hi, Matias. I wanted to talk about the substitution at halftime. Uh, you made two subs. Uh, you brought on Kate Cowell and you and you brought on Judson for Ametti. Uh, you know, maybe just uh, help us with, uh, you know, your thinking in terms of bringing on Cade. Uh, were you looking for him to try to add to the attack and give you an opportunity to get that goal going forward? Uh, and it felt like uh, Judson was there because Remedi had received a yellow card and maybe could be dangerous to, to pick up a second yellow. And so interested in your thoughts as to those two substitutions and, you know, how well they, they took your instructions from halftime. Thank you. Muted. <laughs> Pregunta por qué hiciste esos cambios y tu idea era que Kate podría ser un tal vez un poco más eh, peligroso en ofensiva y para meter un gol y parecía que eh, el cambio de Schulten fue porque Eric Remedy estaba lesionado, eh, perdón, eh, amonestado. Eh, si lo sacaste por eso y, y qué, cómo pensás que rindieron y, y, y te interpretaron los cambios. Bueno, creo que sí que los interpretaron bien. I think the players interpreted what they had to do well. El partido requería de que hagamos cambios, que hiciéramos cambios. The, play, the game required that we make changes. Había que jugarlo de otra manera. We had to play in a different way. Que la pudimos hablar en el tiempo. That we spoke about at halftime. Estuve obligado a sacarlo a, a Eric Remedi porque sentía que el árbitro lo iba a expulsar. I was obligated to take Remedi off because I felt that the ref was going to send him off. Me estaba gustando cómo estaba jugando Eric. I was liking how he was playing. Eh, pero bueno, ante, cuando vi que cada pelota que disputaba le cobraban falta, 
eh, se, ve, se veía venir que la expulsión iba a caer rápidamente. But once I noticed that every time he would challenge for the ball, it would be a foul. I saw the red card, come, red card coming quickly. Al estar con uno menos, eh, pusimos diferentes características por afuera. Being a man down, we had, we added different characteristics out wide. No tanta calidad en pases en gambeta como las de Chofi. Without so much quality in the pass and dribbles that we have in Chofis. Y preferimos... Eh, Cambiar por, por más agresividad y más velocidad para jugar de contragolpe. We decided to play with more aggressiveness and more speed for the counterattack. Las jugadas estuvieron. The, play, the plays were did well. The plays y siempre digo lo mismo con respecto a Kay, es un joven. And I always say the same thing with Kay, he's a young guy. Que algún día, después de muchos partidos jugados. That someday, after having many more games played. Esas posibilidades entrando al área, él va a rematar y no va a enganchar. When he has that chance that he had today, he's going to shoot rather than cutting inside when he's played more games. Pero el tiempo que se necesita para que los jóvenes se sigan convirtiendo cada vez en mejores jugadores. But that's the time that every player needs to become better players. Thank you, Matias. Let's actually take one more in English from Harold Gutman. All right, let's go ahead and jump to uh, the Spanish portion now uh, and start with Carlos Justiz. Matías, eh, buenas tardes. Eh, Marcelo Bielsa di dice que el modelo de juego no cambia según las formaciones. Las formaciones son básicamente una forma de ejecutar el modelo de juego. Y viendo eh, lo que pasó la semana pasada, comparando con, con, con esta, más allá de la formación eh, Podríamos decir que este es el modelo de juego que estás buscando con el equipo para, para poder seguir enfrentando a la liga. No, no. No estoy cerrándome en una sola opción. La semana pasada nosotros tuvimos cinco acciones de gol el primer tiempo. Porque lo volví a ver al partido, cortamos los partidos, vemos la jugada en ofensiva, vemos los errores, pero también vemos las cosas bien que que habíamos hecho. La semana pasada, hasta el minuto 43 y medio, San José podría haber hecho dos goles tranquilamente. Eh, entonces, eh, sabemos que de esa manera podemos hacerlo, de esta manera también podemos hacerlo, de otras maneras que hemos jugado lo podemos hacer porque lo entrenamos. Entonces, es darle más herramientas a los jugadores para, para tener, digamos, más variantes. Y, y la otra sería, eh, obviamente la, la, la expulsión cambia muchas cosas, ¿no? Entonces, eh, digo, los partidos nunca son ideales, pero dentro del mundo ideal, eh, con, con, con lo que queda el, el resto del partido, jugar con 75, con, con, con 10, eh, ¿te, ¿te vas satisfecho a pesar de, de, de que sea, obviamente tienes que venir de atrás, es un, es un empate, pero ¿te vas satisfecho con el rendimiento? Sí, me voy orgulloso de ellos, de los jugadores porque trabajamos en equipo, y si bien hubo un expulsado, sus compañeros jugaron por él. Y ese es, es el sentido de pertenencia que yo estoy buscando desde hace mucho tiempo en San José, que los jugadores estén el alma en cada jugada, en cada acción. Y es el segundo partido que nosotros levantamos un resultado con 10. Hubo un partido donde entramos a playoff 
contra Los Ángeles Fútbol Club, que con 10 pasamos a ganar 3 a 2. Entonces este equipo tiene su, su garra, tiene su entrega. Eh, este año trataremos de ser más, eh, de mantener una línea más pareja eh, y no subir ni bajar tanto, sino mantenernos en una línea media para ser competitivo como lo fuimos hoy. Que de hecho, si sos competitivo con 10 durante 75 minutos, quiere decir que con 11 también lo puedes hacer. El otro día habíamos cometido errores que fueron sacados del medio, pero yo había visto buenas cosas con respecto al juego. Y bueno, esto recién inicia, y nos tocaron dos rivales de los más complicados, entonces creo que este empate, da, más allá que sea un empate, da esa, ese envión anímico que necesita cualquier grupo. Thank you, Matías. Our final question comes from Paula Maruri. Muy buenas tardes, Matías. La pregunta es, ¿qué piensa usted del desempeño de Francisco Calvo? ¿Y se puede definir este partido como un perfecto eh, ejemplo de resiliencia? Sí, totalmente. Son los jugadores que hemos traído son hombres hechos en el fútbol. Y hoy marcaron... ¿Por qué los trajimos? ¿Por qué los elegí? Eh, son grandes profesionales, los chicos que vinieron, eh, y creo que están devolviendo esa confianza que le dio este club en traerlos. Entonces, hoy un, un defensor que haga, hizo dos goles. Un defensor que haga dos goles no se da siempre, entonces creo que hay que valorarlo. Pero más que los goles, esa entrega, eso de no rendirse nunca, el contagiar al compañero que se puede, bueno, creo que hemos traído jugadores en ese sentido importantes. All right, thank you very much, Matías and Augustine, and congratulations on the point. Okay, guys, Francisco Calvo will be joining us uh, momentarily. Thank you. Okay, good. We asked for uh, Calvo and asking you shall receive. So uh, glad that uh, uh, Francesco is going to take the time to join us today. Obviously, the hero for today, two set-piece goals. Looks like he maybe just got a bit of a hair uh, on that first goal. Maybe that was a little bit more Gregouche, uh, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it's important. Actually, I did look him up, and uh, on FB Ref, it mentioned uh, the most he's had in MLS so far, at least, is three goals in a season for uh, Chicago Fire. So already two thirds to his uh, career total uh, with, the, with the San Jose Earthquakes here. Alex, again, kind of like uh, assess like Calvo today as compared to Calvo last week from your perspective. Obviously called on to do very, very different things. Last week, pushing up high and wide and, you know, you know, try to like scramble back in order to be able to handle these counterattacks today, you know, definitely a bit more central, more like what we're used to with the four, two, three ones from, from Almeida. Uh, and then, uh, obviously, uh, you know, a, a figure point in, in the set pieces today. I mean, it's a slightly different role in each system, Jamin, but I think it's the same Francisco Calvo. He's playing aggressively and sometimes, uh, that risk doesn't pay off and he gets beat. Uh, but I do think that the other side of that is that his leadership has been excellent. He's been directing this back line, and I think he's already become a, a, key, a, a key piece of this team. 
Uh, and one thing that I did notice uh, from Matias Almeida's press conference that I want to point out uh, is uh, the changes that he was talking about that, that he made at halftime, because he doesn't usually walk us through a lot of those tactical changes uh, as specifically in as much detail as he did today. Um, and I think he wanted to demonstrate the flexibility that he has tactically now. And I want to give him credit for that because this Quakes team has more options now and can play in more ways than they did last year. And I think that that's really crucial in these games where they're uh, forced to, to play uh, in different situations. But now I believe we're going over to Calvo. Oh, never Not mind. Not quite yet. False. I think he's just asking if we, if we all have questions. And of course you and I always have questions. So. <laughs> False alarm. I, I will continue. Yeah, I, I, I just think that in games where you're, you're forced to, to face different situations, that tactical flexibility is really key. Now, I, I don't think they have a super solid baseline, but I do think that that adaptability uh, will help them this season uh, in, in Major League Soccer. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, you know, Arky uh, 408 here says he had a few terrible passes, but he scored. Looks like he's really trying. So just a couple observations. So early in the game, uh, when uh, the Quakes had the lead, the game was starting to turn into a bit of a track meet. And I don't know if you caught this, Alex, but Calvo was trying to calm everyone down. The pace was too fast. Now, a lot of people were like, you know, they need to be going faster. I actually disagree in, in that situation. I think given the track meet that things turned into last week that didn't bode well in their favor, and given the fact that uh, Columbus hung four goals last week on the, on uh, Vancouver, I think the Quakes were asking for trouble if they took an early lead and then decided, like, we're just going to race up and down the field with these guys. I think that they were going to run into some trouble at some point. We know that the Quakes defensively in transition – you know, will struggle a bit. So Calvo was basically going, look, everyone's getting gassed out here. You guys need to calm it down a little bit. Enjoy having the ball for a little bit, move it around, you know, let's calm this game down. And, you know, that, you know, again, what we've seen from him so far, Alex, is that he's got those captain-like qualities that you've, you see in, uh, you saw, you know, when he was in Minnesota and when he was in Chicago and he wore the captain's armband here, he's not going to wear it, at least not right now, because Jackson Yule is the captain. And that's an earned thing that Jackson has. Uh, and the, and the team has, you know, you know basically uh, has voted for him to be in that situation, but you can see that Calvo is a leader out there and was, was, uh, telling the team, you know, to calm things down early in the game. And then in the second half, if there was anyone out there who was flying around with some pa some passion, some Nathan-like qualities that otherwise this team would miss, you know, Calvo brings that. And I think one of the concerns that people have had, and I think it's a fair concern, is that if you have Nathan and Calvo as your two center backs, you could run into a situation where they're a bit too aggressive because they're both hard on the sleeve kind of players. Here's Calvo right now. Can you walk us through both of those set pieces uh, and what your strategy is uh, for getting your head on the ball uh, and, and putting the ball in the back of the net like that? Just believe this is uh, this is not just about about, about Francisco Cabo. This is about 
San Jose earthquakes about this team. I'm happy for the two goals for sure and, and help the team with with with, with to tie. I mean, with tight in the game. But I I need to to talk about the effort of the team. You know, uh, being down three one and and tied in the game is is amazing. It's just amazing, and, and hopefully we can go from here. Thank you, Francisco. Next question from Jamin Moore. Hi, Francisco. I don't think we've had a chance to talk before. Welcome to the to the team. Um, obviously, a great performance for you personally today. But I want to go back to a, 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 something I noticed early in the game, where you were the team hit was uh, starting to like go back and forth, and the game was turning into you know an up and down track meet. And I believe you had the lead at the time, and I noticed you telling everyone to kind of you know slow things down a little bit, control the ball, control the pace. Can you kind of tell me? You know what you were seeing at that point, and uh, while some fans may want you know the team to run around and, and go on the break there a lot, it looked like you were trying to get the team to better control the ball and have more of the possession. So just walk us through a little bit, you know, what you were saying in those situations. Thank you. Yeah, we just lost a game a week ago against Red Bull because after after we tied the game, we want to score right away, and we we need to remember that we have 90 minutes to score another goal. And we go crazy. Yeah. Everybody wants to score, and and it was a fall. You know, it was a mistake for us. And then we 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 lost again, again, a game against Red Bull, uh, going like crazy. So, in my opinion, that could happen again. So I was trying like just like to keep the team together, to go together. And then when we press, we go we go together. When we defend, we defend as a as a unit. And. And that's how we did. And and in the end of the day, we we get a, a good result. We we have we wanna win. We're gonna win. But in the end of the day, one point in the circumstances that we were is a good point. Thank you. Next question from Harold Goodman. Yes, hi. Um I was wondering just what was the mentality, I guess, when you knew you were going to be man down for most of the match? I guess what, you know, what was your mentality going forward then? And then how important is it to get a result, you know, in that circumstance? Um, and then also one, one last one, just what those set pieces, those crosses that, that you were able to score kind of, you know, if you could take me through those plays too. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, it, was, it was tough. It was tough because we knew that we we're going to be one man down. Man down. I mean, we were almost 70 minutes with a, with a man down, and it's tough. In, in, in high level, it's tough to play with 10. Um, I think the referee, well, no, I don't want to talk about the referee. Um, and then about the goals, I just believe in, in, in my teammates, you know, and, and I know they, they cross really well. And if it was not me, I, I was pretty sure that it was another guy who was going to score. Thank God that, that he gave me these two goals and, and I can I could have the team. and And... It's a, it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, uh, we're playing at home and we always want to want to win here, uh, but we we tie against a really really good team, uh, which is Columbus. And and remember that they they just scored four goals the last game and and they I don't think they over overplay us either. You know they they have I mean two golazos from Celara Young and sometimes you you can't do anything against that. Thank you. We're going to take two questions in Spanish now, uh, starting with Paula Maruri. Francisco, muy buenas tardes. Mira, la última vez que hablamos fue en el amistoso de Estados Unidos Costa Rica 2019. Me da mucho gusto saludarte ahorita. 
Estábamos hablando con Matías, hola, ¿cómo estás? Eh, del ejemplo de resiliencia que este equipo tiene, sobre todo al final, cuando ustedes se reúnen y ganan. Háblanos un poquito de esos dos goles que tú anotas en el día de hoy. Gracias, Francisco. Sí, sí esa palabra, resiliencia. Okay, apologies everyone. Things kind of went haywire. I'm going to try to get the stream back. Sentir bien. Eh, este equipo me ha recibido muy bien, de la mejor manera desde que lo desde que llegué lo he dicho. Esto se siente como una familia y es muy bonito llegar a un club así. Eh, San José es mi casa ahora y yo lo que voy a hacer es tratar de dar el máximo esfuerzo para para retribuir la confianza que ellos me dieron al contratarme acá. Entonces, cada semana lo que tengo que hacer es tratar de dar el, el mejor Francisco Calvo en la cancha, eh, tratar de ayudar a mis compañeros y como equipo vamos a sacar muy buenos resultados. Se vienen dos visitas muy difíciles, pero estoy convencido de que podemos, de que podemos sacar los, los resultados. Eh, somos un equipo que no es fácil de quebrar y somos un equipo que, que va a ir mejorando. Es el segundo partido. Y, y vamos a ir afinando poco a poco, eh, más y más, y vamos a ir sacando resultados. All right, thank you very much, Francisco. Congrats on the two goals and the point. All right, thank you all very much for joining us today, and we'll see you next Saturday. Okay, so again, apologies. We did have a technical difficulty there where everything crashed. I'm not sure if uh, some of these people who are on the press conference are have our show going at the same time, Alex, and I think it's creating that feedback loop. So I'm going to inform uh, Jake to make sure that uh, people do not uh, have the show on or at least mute the show uh, when they're going to talk. Um, I assume that's what's going on. I don't know why otherwise uh, we would have, uh, that much, uh, feedback on some of these questions, but anyway, um, what did you take from, from, uh, from Francisco's, uh, answer, uh, in the press conference there? I think I was just reminded how crucial this signing was. This was the last signing that Chris Leach made this season. And I think it took a lot of fans, a lot of us by surprise, uh, because Francisco Calvo was a guy who, uh, both in Minnesota and in Chicago fire, uh, the fans complained about a lot. They complained about him not being reliable enough and, and about being uh, too reckless at the back. Uh, but this is looking like a really smart move right now because that uh, aggression really fits Matias Almeida's system. 
And because the Quakes need that veteran leadership back there right now, with Nathan's absence, uh, Calvo is going to be really key uh, to, to be the linchpin for this defense. So that in, in retrospect, I think looks like an even better signing uh, than I think I fully realized uh, when, when Chris Leach made that signing uh, a couple weeks ago, Jamin. Yeah, so we, we knew he's very good quality with his national team. Everyone, you know, mentions how good he is there. But for some reason, it just didn't work out well for him. And let's let's be fair. He played in uh, sides that were not that good uh, for both of those teams. And and sometimes when you play in, in sides that are not good and you're going to be under pressure constantly, it's going to have an impact on the results. Again, I kind of go back to the, uh, the thought process that, he is, uh, he is going, he is, you know, wearing that heart on the sleeve. He is going hard into everything that he does. And I think like that element of it, hopefully will endear him over time to Quakes fans the same way that, that Nathan has, or the same way that back in the day, Flo Youngworth did. Like Quakes fans appreciate, Victor Bernardes, same, same type of thing, right? Quakes fans appreciate people who go all out. I hope that people will be able to tell the difference when what's going on is he's going all out into a situation, but sometimes going all out is going to result in problems. Like for Nathan, one of the things we noticed last year, sometimes going all out results in a red card, um, you know, and such. So there are going to be the downside sometime of these high, more highly aggressive uh, players, but there are pluses. And with Calvo, what you're getting as compared to those other players that I mentioned there is a lot more on the offensive side. Um, yes, not every pass is going to come off, but he's going to try to unlock defenses sometimes with his passing from the back. Uh, and he is going to play more aggressively uh, with some of that passing. He's also going, and, and that's actually a style that I do think Chris Leach does want to have. Um, and the other thing that he's going to, to bring is he's going to bring in the set piece danger. Now teams are going to have to know where's Francisco Calvo and that can open up other things for other players in some of these set-piece situations, even if they decide to double Calvo or whatever uh, approach. And, and I think that you can tell that Chris Leach is confident about the Calvo signing and confident about uh, this roster uh, as a whole. Because one thing that happened today that uh, hasn't happened before in, in, in my memory uh, is that Chris Leach went on to the live broadcast uh, uh, with Chris Dangerfield and Anthony Passarelli. And he had like a full 10-minute interview uh, with the broadcasters. And that's not something that a San Jose Earthquakes general manager has done before. So I think, to me, that indicated that he is confident, one, in this roster, and two, wants to take accountability and, and, and wants to show more responsibility and more, more responsiveness to the fans uh, and to this organization as a whole. So that was one other thing, kind of off the field, uh, that caught my eye from today's game, Jamie. I want to come back to to the red card, and I think you and I are going to see this a bit differently, and it's perfectly fine. I want to hear from the fans their thoughts on the red card, too. I think there were some comments earlier, so if people want to repost the comment that they, they said earlier about the red card and your feelings about it, you know, do that. Uh, let me just kind of try to set it up. There's There's basically, in effect, a loose ball in the middle of the field, and you have two players arriving to the ball simultaneously. I saw a still in which both players had their studs up. One player made contact with the ball. The other player made contact with the man, but they arrived at the same time. Now, according to the letter of the law, you know, intent doesn't matter, right? The problem is the studs were up 
and it was dangerous. But I, my opinion was that it was actually dangerous by both players. Just again, one caught ball, one caught man. Uh, but I, I get the feeling. So, so for me, yes, it's a red, but kind of in a sighing kind of way, like, well, only because that's the letter of the law, not because I really feel like it was really that dangerous of a play. To be quite honest, there was no chance of an injury or anything else. And again, you had a 50-50 ball that two players were going after, and they don't necessarily know where the other player is at. They're trying to play the ball. So for that reason, Alex, I mean, that's my perspective on it. I know you have a slightly different perspective. So give us yours. I mean, I think it's it's more clear cut than that, Jamin. I think that it's very obviously a reckless challenge. He doesn't really get close to the ball. He goes straight through uh, the, the leg there, studs up. So I, I think it's a pretty clear cut red. I do think it's unlucky. I don't think there was malintent. Uh, I just think that uh, he was caught in a bad position and, and went in a little too recklessly. And I, I also don't think that Montero is generally uh, a player that, uh, is reckless or, or has a bad temperament. I just think it's unlucky. And, and sometimes that happens. Yeah. And, and that, that's my perspective too, is it's a bit unlucky, but that's just the way that the game is, is done. And if you're going to be fair with it and equitable across all the various situations, you know, from a refereeing perspective, and of course we can all comment about how much quality we think pro pro has, but I will say that in pros defense, and I love to play devil's advocate uh, with these types of situations. In pros defense, they do more to evaluate their referees than any other uh, organization in CONCACAF. And they, you know, if you think the refereeing is bad here, you should see the rest of CONCACAF is all I gotta have to say about that. Go ahead, Alex. Well, and, and I think with this one, like when you slowed it down the VAR, if you just saw the still frame, uh, it wasn't as clear, but I think the real-time replay, it was pretty clear. He was going in with a, a lot of pace studs up. I, it, it was clear-cut to me. I think Pro made the right decision on this occasion, and I don't think that Matias has had a lot to complain about, has has had really any grounds to complain about refereeing so far this season. Yeah, and I, and I don't didn't feel that I was kind of expecting him to, but I also didn't want to set him up with a referee question that would – you know, bring it out just for the the fun of seeing if it would come out because we've been there, done that before. Honestly, there the only thing that will happen is he'll say the wrong thing and be suspended for next week. And you know, at this point, that doesn't do anyone any good. So I, no, no no reason to just set him up to get himself in trouble. At this point, I see no point asking Matias Almeida about Major League Soccer referees. We we know his <laughs> animosity towards Major League Soccer referees towards pro. We we know his perspective already. Uh, I, I don't see any positive to come out of asking those questions because we know the answer that we're going to get when we ask them, Jamin. All right. Um, so uh, the fans overall go, yeah, it was it was a red by letter of the law and, you know, they're they're kind of OK with it. So I think uh, only a couple couple dissenters there. But, you know, I think there was definitely some questionable refereeing in the match. I don't think that the match was well officiated. I, I do feel that the two situations that went to VAR ended up in the correct results, but overall, like the game itself was not all that well officiated. And I think both sides have some gripe that they could make about the officiating. But as, you know, as Chris Leach said at halftime, you know, that's the game and you play the hand that you're dealt. And a lot of times you make your own situations and your, your own luck as it pertains to the referees. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to get suspended by, uh, by saying something here about, uh, about the red cards. So um, he, he definitely passed on that. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's worth dwelling on the refereeing in this one, Jamie. And if there's if there's anything that's worth dwelling on, uh, I think it's going to be uh, the midfield because I still don't think they figured out how to move the ball through that midfield really well. Uh, and today they didn't really have an opportunity after the Montero red card to really try to figure that out. But I still think it's just too slow in that midfield and, and, and too slow uh, moving the ball forward. And I think that uh, Chofis uh, in, in particular didn't move the ball forward fast enough. Uh, and so I still think if there's one area from this game that I, I still want to see improvement, it, it, it's that midfield and, and and how they can make those find those combinations in there and involve Obobese more. Because when Obobese was involved, I thought – that he did a good job distributing the ball, uh, yes. but he just didn't get involved enough and, and didn't get in an, enough goal dangerous uh, positions. Really, yeah, he, he does a good job from from a hold up play and and often from a defensive side, uh, pushing players into less optimal uh, you know locations and such, forcing them to maybe kick the ball long uh, from from pressure and, and such. So overall, I think that's good. I agree with you. He's not yet doing the types of off the ball movements that I really want to see him be able to make. Uh, in order to get truly goal dangerous. And again, I think, you know, he got a wonderful pass from Cade Cowell and, you know, relying a little too heavy of having to get back onto his right foot, slowed the whole thing down and allowed, uh, you know, Columbus to get back into a defensive position where they basically were able to force him into a, into a good bit of nothing there. Um, and, you know, good on them for taking, for, for slowing him down. I mean, that's what they're supposed to do. But, uh, you know, his job was to continue the acceleration and, and get 1v1 with the keeper there. And look, he needs to improve his finishing in that position. Uh, that was a fantastic through ball from Cade Cowell, by the way. I think uh, if there's one clip that's taken from this match, it's probably going to be that Cade Cowell pass uh, through to Ibobasi, uh because I, I'm sure a lot of the national pundits would, would love to run with that one. I think Cade hit a couple of those passes uh, last season, one of them against Dallas early in the season, uh, to Christian Espinosa that resulted in a goal. Uh, Kay Cowell really has that vision, and that was an excellent, exciting example of that uh, in today's game. And and I think that Obobese really should have finished that. He still has to uh, improve uh, his, his clinicality up top because it is an open question of who is starting in that number nine position. If if Obobese doesn't show enough of that clinical finishing, then I think uh, Benji Kikanovich has a strong case to make for that number nine position. Yeah, and I want, to, I want to bring this show close to an end here. We're coming on the hour, and I want to always be cognizant of fans' time. And great numbers tonight. Great job in the chat. Everyone, you know, really brought the A-game to this. Always helpful to get an exciting finish in order to get fans on. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a game next week that I think is going to be a really interesting one to watch. They're going to go on the road for the first time against a club like Philadelphia, and for me, when you look at what is the future of the Quakes or what should it look like, Philadelphia is one place that you can look at and go like, hey, they don't spend a lot on players either. Jamiro Montero was their one DP who they paid $2 million for, and now the Quakes have him. And unfortunately, Jamiro won't be able to play against his old team because that would have been much more interesting. But uh, you know, that's a team, the Philly team. Oh, Michael's going to be there too. I, I forgot. That's right. Michael is going to be there. He's Michael, you're going to be our correspondent for the game. Uh, no, actually, Colin, Colin may be able, may be there as well. I need to double check with Colin about that. He might actually be in there in person. So uh, yeah, Michael's like, yeah, wait, no Montero. Bummer. I agree. 
that was gonna that was gonna be fun. But uh, but Philadelphia is a team that doesn't spend you know on on DPS and such. You know, very similar have very similar spend rates as the Quakes, but yet they are making the playoffs. They are very consistent. Jim Curtin, I think, does a good job coaching what he has, understanding that he's not going to always keep his best players. He's not going to bring in the big name players. He doesn't really make a lot of noise about it. He takes what he has and he creates something from it. They also have a very good academy, something that the Quakes are starting to get, you know, in place as well and starting to see some fruit from. Um, you know, what do you think about this matchup of like what the future Quakes under Chris Leach could look like is uh, is a team like like Philadelphia and where the Quakes are as of right now in that journey? Well, first of all, I think it's incredibly sad that Montero isn't allowed a homecoming, won't be able to have a homecoming in Philadelphia, because I know that he was remembered very fondly by Philadelphia fans. Uh, I know they always loved uh, his his contributions and his attitude and we're sad to see him go. So uh, it feels it feels definitely very sad not not for him to be able to have uh, th- that moment. Uh, but in, in terms of the matchup, this is going to be a tough game for the Quakes, Jamin, because uh, Philadelphia are the kind of organization that the Quakes are striving to be building homegrown players from the academy, turning into a selling club and selling those players to Europe uh, and, and having success uh, with those young players in Major League Soccer. That's clearly the model for any team that's trying to win in Major League Soccer on a budget and create a really sustainable uh, club and organization. Uh, so I, I, I think it's going to be a good matchup next weekend. I know we're going to have a chance to check in with Matias Almeida again midweek at his midweek press conference to ask him more about that matchup. Uh, and I look forward to being uh, back here next weekend uh, in the Aftershock postgame show for, for another fun show. And I think you're muted, Jamin. Yeah, and maybe we'll be able to get Colin. Maybe he'll be live there. If not, Michael Peachy will be our correspondent. We'll have to... Uh to get something from you there, Michael. Let's, let's see Let's see if we can arrange that. As always, you can follow Alex Morgan at Quake Talk. Uh, myself, I'm at jmorequakes. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for joining tonight. You know about our Patreon by now, I hope. And if you don't, uh, you know, this is an opportunity for you to get in early in the season. Just this past week, let's talk about the content that we produced this past week, Alex, because there's quite a bit. And I want to make sure that everyone's aware of it, too because it's some really good content. I think it's worth going back and reading and it's all still still quite relevant uh, up to a point. So first off, you have Asher renewing the Quakes Quickie, taking a moment from the last game and talking us through the details that you probably missed about that game. Asher is a fantastic storyteller. Even if you know exactly the situation he's talking about, he's probably gonna reveal something that you haven't noticed yet. Also, Robert Jonas back this season uh, in a more full-time type role, he is beginning a weekly column. So those two articles, both available to everyone, but for a day, sometimes two days, those articles will be only available for patrons. So if you want early access and you want to support independent reporting and this show around the San Jose earthquakes, the things that we do, the equipment, travel for some of these away games, if Colin's able to make that Philly game, for example, we want to be able to pay for his expenses. We don't want Colin to have to take that on himself. Same thing, Alex in the games in LA. Same thing, Asher for games in Texas. Myself up here in the Pacific Northwest. Robert is in the Bay Area. So we have people all over now, the uh, the Western and to some extent, the Eastern conferences. So uh, we also did two videos this week. I did a preview of the game with Massive Report. 
Uh, if you want to check out uh, the preview of the game where he talked a good bit about Zellerion, now that you've seen Zellerion play, if you've never seen him before, you might want to go back and check out what he had to say about Lucas Zellerion. Uh, he is a special talent from a set, from a free kick perspective, and we saw that today. Since Sebastian Giovinco, no one has done what he's done in this league You know, when it comes to those free kick type situations. Five free kick goals last year and obviously already one uh, this year to go along with, I think, three total goals. So Zellerion starting off uh, on a great foot for uh, the crew. And I think it's worth getting to know players like that a little bit better since we won't probably see the crew for a while, maybe not even next season. So it's an opportunity to get some more information about some of these teams. Also had a tactical conversation with, uh, it was a lot of fun, uh, with Carl Carpenter and Kieran Doyle. We talked about, you know, the, the the whole three in the back situation, how the Quakes played, what should they have done different in different situations, whether they do well, whether they do poorly, you know, how much like Chelsea FC was it? Uh, you know, which is a comment that we had heard is, oh, they're trying to play a little bit like Chelsea. And it's like, okay, well, let's let's actually have a comparison. So we got into all that. So, you know, that's a lot of content for one week. And so if you want to support this type of content, please uh, check out the Patreon. $2, again, gets you in. Uh, and $5 gets you access to the fun, crazy game chat that was going on today in the Quakes Epicenter Slack. Alex, final thoughts? I'll add that even on quieter nights here on the show, if Matias Almeida doesn't have a spectacular uh, press conference with, with lots of fireworks going on, uh, there is still a lot happening uh, with the articles and on the Quakes Epicenter Slack. So that is a reason uh, to subscribe and to support our team. Uh, and and I, I'll end by saying this, Jamin, uh, this game caught me by surprise. I, I think around the hour mark, uh, I was anticipating another 3-1 loss. I was anticipating another somber, depressing uh, post-match, game, uh, post-match show. Uh, but the Quakes showed heart tonight. And uh, they showed that uh, even if, uh, you know, they're not, uh, they don't have the, the perfect system yet, uh, that they, they still have a shot and they have the quality to be able to compete. Uh, so that's exciting to me. And uh, I, I, for that reason, I, I'm looking forward to next weekend's game. Yeah, my, my, my very quick... Pick, quick takeaway is two games at home, one point. So regardless of the fact that it was because of a red card or, or, or not, uh, you know, you start off the season with a loss. Now that loss all of a sudden looms larger. If you had come out last week and had taken points, you could have probably taken just a point today and felt pretty good about coming out with something more like two or four points. Now you've got one through two games at home and you got to hit the road for two more games. So I guess the dire predictions of no points to the first four games won't happen at least, but you're still going to go into now, you know, two road games against two tough opponents. And it's going to be quite interesting to see whether today is going to carry some momentum into those games. And did Almeida learn something about his team and the setup that he's going to need to take? I thought it was really interesting though, that we did hear him talk about we have a lot of different ways that we can play and I'm going to pick and choose what I think is best for the individual game. And I think that's a different Matias Almeida than we had in 2019, who was going to run himself out there and do the same thing night after night and beat his head against the walls. So um, as Matias mentioned last year, you know, he's grown as a person and as a coach. And while we are quite critical of him on the show and we're not necessarily Alex and I uh, uh, don't believe he's necessarily the best coach for the San Jose earthquakes. 
uh, going forward, I think you can give Almeida a lot of credit for things like adjusting uh, for the game, you know, to, to do what he needed to do in Nathan's absence. And also for the substitutions that he made, the right substitutions, uh, also for, you know, putting Calvo and Gregoosh into the right situations and trusting them uh, to be able to get the team through some difficult times today. And I think he was rewarded for his faith in those types of players. So overall, I think a positive uh, day in the uh, Matias Almeida experiment. And, you know, of course, it'll keep going again. Next week, we'll have more to share right here on the Aftershock. For Alex Morgan, I'm Jamin Moore. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. Never say die, just like the Quakes didn't do today.